everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. It is going to be another chapter, the final chapter of 1987 films. God, I can't wait to move on to 1988 where the movies are so much more mediocre. <laughs> 87 might be the greatest <laughs> year in film ever, and we're skipping a lot of movies because we would be here all year. Um, what do you think? Do you think this ranks in the top like major years of films for you? I will have to say uh, there's... No, I'd have to say, yeah, it got better and better uh, coming into 87. That much is certain. I mean, I didn't realize so many of them came out in that particular year. Yeah, it's funny thinking but, about the very first year that we did, 1980, we scrambled just to get six movies. It's so different now. Mm-hmm. I know, it's like, oh, they were getting better with time, and people were just really popping up all, like, you know, throughout the 80s, some people were making comebacks, you know, making little tributes to these particular movies that yeah. you wouldn't notice until you actually saw them. Right. Way back in the day. And this is the year, I think I mentioned in the previous episode, where my grandfather started taping movies off HBO and gave them to us. So 87, 88 is like that prime year where I saw so many of these movies over and over and over. And uh, so we have six films selected for our final 1987 entry. Like I said, we couldn't do them all. In fact, one of them we had planned. I don't know what happened. Um, I have a Japanese import of Extreme Prejudice I was going to give to Jacob and it didn't work. So we can't do that one. I still can't believe this movie is only in a VHS uh, transfer to digital or DVD. It's such a beautiful widescreen movie. Well, I shouldn't say beautiful, but it's really, it looks really good widescreen. But we all, can only get it in America in the stupid cut VHS grainy copy. Blech. Oh, I know. It's like, gosh, it's so choppy. And who knows? Like, the tape can't even be, you know, fully preserved. And... All of a sudden, you end up skipping a scene, the audio cuts out, you're screwed. <laughs> um, so what is the first film of this last chapter that we're going to be discussing? Well, let's just get the pills out. Hold it together, let's Michael. Let's get... <laughs> this is also for Olivia Dukakis, who did just pass away not too long ago. Uh, Moonstruck. Yeah, it's... This, I think... Go ahead. Oh, yeah. This, I think, was definitely a good pivotal moment not only for Cher uh, as a leading lady but also for Nicolas Cage yeah it's this is the year of Cher she had three movies in 1987 she had Suspect which no one ever talks about which is really good um, which is of Eastwick and this and this made her a megastar and it's so funny that then she took three years off <laughs> and did Mermaids and then I think she took uh, many many more years off she wasn't primarily known as an actress but 87 apparently was her sweet spot for great scripts so she just did three movies back to back to back, and all three are magnificent. But this is the one that got her all the notice because this is where she's the sole lead. This I think believe got her an Oscar nomination. Everybody in this got a lot of nods and uh, attention because I remember this is the first year that I watched the Oscars, and Moonstruck's like the only one that wasn't like a stuffy, boring movie. Um, I think as an older person with ADD, I had a little bit trouble getting into this movie. Whenever Nicolas Cage isn't on screen, I really didn't care. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't blame you. I mean, Nicholas Cage, um, he can be a little bit out there. You know, he's righteously angry at his brother, uh, especially considering the disability that he eventually, uh, unfortunately, yeah. not evidently. I lost my hand. I lost my bride. Johnny gets to keep his hand, and Johnny gets to keep his bride. <laughs> yeah, great... no, shit. Pizza, again. Uh, when Nicolas Cage goes nuts, I am here for it. Yeah. No matter Did what. Did he movie. take out 
I swear I've seen movies before this, and I don't recall him having a tiny tooth on his right side. I think he must have pulled a cap or something because I've never seen that before, and I can see him being so... Um, uh, what do you call it, deep in his role that he would literally go to a dentist and say, hey, can you pull this off? Like the way Jim Carrey did with Dumb and Dumber when he pulled the cap off his tooth. Oh, wow. Oh, gosh, I did not know that. Yeah. But now realizing, well, knowing Nicolas Cage, how he gets deep into his role, yeah, I could see that happening considering what he did for Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, just method all the way. And um, I would say his performance is a highlight. Of course, Olympia Dukakis is a great share, is fantastic. Who is uh, uh, Danny Aiello, I think, is a lot of fun. Yes. Um, but everybody oh, else in it, I just like, I, maybe it's just too New York and Italian to me, but I just was a little like, eh, I don't have a whole lot invested in this. Oh, no, I, Danny Aiello, again, he was just, uh, the way his character's set up, he's like not intentionally being funny, but you can't help but laugh at him. He's yeah. Like a goofball. Especially when he just tries to propose, Cher has to tell him how to propose. Yeah, yeah give me the ring. How dare you not, you know, whatever. Um, I think it's funny is that if you look at my big fat Greek wedding, they clearly looked at Moonstruck and went to somebody and said, look how much this made. We have a movie that's similar. We can sell it like with that goofy, uh, you know, um, New York vibe and it's it's so funny that these movies are not made now unless they're sent straight to like a streaming service sadly yeah these days yeah I mean with Big Big Fat Greek Wedding yeah no shoot I couldn't see that happening uh, again like, well, in, in Moonstruck is not really about plot it's about the characters and that is something that's sorely missing I think in a lot of movies these days um, unless it's a Hallmark Channel movie where they don't have a budget for a plot and it's just about the characters <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. But yeah, no, I will say this about my big fat Greek wedding. I mean, I thought the comedy, it, it was like, you could definitely tell it was inspired by that. Of course, you know, different as far as cult, different culture, of course, you know, Greek and Italian. Yeah. Even though they're like very close to each other in Europe. But I will say, you know, if I don't honestly, like if it weren't for Moonstruck, I don't think big fat Greek wedding would happen. No, I also like, don't know, think like, Nicolas Cage's career would have happened. I really, I mean, I don't know. Um... Raising Arizona was successful, but I don't know what it was going to do for him. Moonstruck's the one that got all the attention from the critics. And it, it, here's the thing is, if he hadn't been so noticed in those two movies, especially Moonstruck, I don't think that he would have been subversive later and done Vampire's Kiss and Wild at Heart oh, cool. and stuff like that. Like he, Of course, he did that one, fucking, what is that? Firebirds, which is a lame-ass uh, Top Gun ripoff. But I think he almost like felt a need to go weirder every time he would get a lot of notice. Like, look when he became a major star. He's still, like, immediately after all those movies, he got weirder and weirder and weirder. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Dude, oh, when we get to 89, we're definitely discussing vampires. Yeah. <laughs> Hands down. <laughs> all right, what is so, our next film? Yeah. Okay, so let me check. Okay, um, this one. Oh, gosh, this is, like, one of the most... Um, this is, like, one of the most cherished movies from my childhood, and it's one of the reasons why... Um, I love the song and, and he kissed me Adventures in Babysitting Chris Columbus Magic Yeah it's, Through and through This is one of those That made the 87 tape I think it was on with um, uh, Revenge of the Nerds 2 And Hot Pursuit With John Cusack Which you've probably Never seen um, Like a collection Of teen movies That we would just watch Over and over and over And the very first one Was Adventures in Babysitting We watched that the most and I, I just discussed this with my sister on an episode of We've Got the Beat, so I'm going to hand this over to you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
as far as it goes for uh, Adventures of Babysitting, I watched this when I was a little kid. You know, my mom really enjoyed it. We had it on VHS recorded. And when as soon as it came out on DVD, she bought it immediately. Like, that's one of the very few movies she'll absolutely buy and love. And, yeah, again, taking place in Chicago, you know, a babysitter, you know, watching a family. Has to go save her friend who's running away. And all sorts of shit just happens. One thing after another, after another, after another. She gets mistaken for a playmate model. <laughs> you know, just, you know, and, um, yeah, seriously, Elizabeth Shue, again, uh, after Karate Kid, you know, her getting her first big breakout role, again, she was just an absolute sweetheart. She, uh, I mean, who could not fall in love with her? How did she not become question. an A-lister? That's what I don't understand. This movie was a hit. People love her in it. And yet after she goes and bees the almost useless girlfriend in Cocktail, and then just a fill-in for uh, Back to the Future 2 and 3. She never hit this peak again. It's, it's so uh, annoying. Oh, she wasn't uh, leaving Las Vegas with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, but that was like a, almost a decade later when her career finally got picked up. After this, though, it was always like a sub, like an and, or lower down the list, like Soap Dish. And I don't understand how she wasn't top-lining a lot of movies. Yeah, that is my. You know, now that you mentioned that, that is a mystery to me as well. Yeah, this is uh, oh. this is Christopher Columbus cashing in his uh, check, basically from making Goonies and Gremlins such huge hits that he got to do his own teen movie, which oddly enough he didn't write. I'm sure he did some you know cleanup writing, but he didn't get credit for it. And this was a huge hit. It had a TV spinoff and a remake not that long ago. But my sister said they're both terrible. <laughs> I've yet to look into them. I mean, it's now. Well, it's going on to Disney Plus soon. Uh, soon uh, once it's off of. Uh, I'm trying to think. Where's the, where's the streaming? I believe on? it's on Ooh. HBO Max. Oh yeah, HBO Max. It's on HBO Max. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I will say Vincent D'Onofrio was a very convincing Thor. <laughs> His wig is not kid, though. His wig being sucks. Being a Marvel fan, I thought, <laughs> oh shoot, that really is Thor. <laughs> yeah, when but I was man. a kid, that was it was really rare for them to mention any superhero, anything comic book whatsoever in a movie. It was so strange when you would get that. I, I just remember like Thor, wow, that's fucking amazing. I know. Well, I mean, it is owned by Disney now, so you know, there's no problem. <laughs> they can't really do much about it. It's like, well, we own the property. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but um, yeah, again, it was just really sweet how like you know each character developed really well. Um, Anthony Knapp. Oh god. <laughs> Again, I absolutely enjoy that guy. He was also great in, um, oh god, the latest uh, Star Trek series. Oh, I didn't know he was in. Star I only know him really from Rent. Oh, he, oh, he was also in uh, Days and Confused as well. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Right. The the weed guys. They got somebody's getting high. You got a problem with that man? No, no. I was just saying. Oh wait, no, that was the other guy. Oh was, yeah, that wasn't. That was not, yeah, that was Goldberg. That yeah. was Adam Goldberg. Yeah. And then who else was in there? Uh, a notable name. I keep remembering. He was in uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter thing. Oh, uh, oh, for God's sakes. I was just talking to my sister about him. Uh, we're even friends on Facebook. I feel like an ass. Toy Soldiers, come on. Come on, you can do this. Keith uh, Coogan. Thank you. Oh, my God. I'm embarrassed. We, we joked about making an award called the Coogans for We Got the Beat where we put people in the Hall of Fame <laughs> because we thought Keith Coogan was so sweet and nice in all his movies. Um, and then I, I, I flaked on his name, so I'm an asshole. Thank you. Hi. Bye. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to quit the show now. <laughs> <That's> a shame. <laughs> but, you know who did surprise me, and I didn't realize who it was uh, until like I saw the credits, was Penelope Ann Miller as Brenda. Oh, yeah. I think this is like her first big thing. 
Yeah, I wanna, yeah, I think it was. I thought she w did have some notoriety afterwards because, you know, she was in Kindergarten Cop, she was in... Oh, Carlito's God. Way and then uh, Gun and mm -hmm. Better News Handbag, stuff like that. Um, I just, I just oh, remember, like... Go George ahead. Newbern. Oh, from Father Bride, yeah. And, of course, who voiced Superman in the Justice Oh, that's right, thank you, I forgot about that. Um, you know what this reminds like, me of is a movie we did a couple years ago was After Hours, where it's like the night that will not end. Oh, wow. Do you remember that one we watched with... Uh, yeah, oh, by Scorsese. Yeah, Scorsese, where the guy just cannot get home. He just can't get home. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a toned-down kids version of that, if you think. Yeah, no, yeah. That is, that's a good similarity. All right, no, anything I else you want to say it. about it? I know. Uh, oh, yeah, Bradley Whitford. Oh, God, how many... <laughs> well, it's so funny. It's, it's, yeah, he, yeah, like I said, it's the same tape. He was a bad guy in the first two movies on that tape. <laughs> oh, dude, I like him in um, what I've seen him in lately. Uh, not only Get Out, but uh, Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, he is, I was surprised, he's in the very beginning of the new Call of the Wild, which with Harrison Ford. Um, just wow. he, he looks so different now. I was, I was like, oh, my God, that's Bradley Whitford. Yeah, no, yeah, but he's still, honestly, he definitely has shown his dramatic potential. Uh, it, it's good to see him still uh, acting and getting work. Yeah. And he definitely makes a difference. All right. Let's see, next one. Oh, gosh, uh, Real Men. This is one I haven't seen before. This is the one you mentioned to me. Yeah, this this and, and uh, my... Moonstruck are free on YouTube, just letting you know. And I will have to say, my gosh, this was... <laughs> This is a I absolutely love the situational uh, setup uh, for all the little gags and jokes, and John Ritter just developing into like you know a badass. Yeah, it's really like, an really amazing performance for him. Jim Belushi's Jim Belushi. He's cool. He's calm. He's got all the fast one-liners. This is John Ritter's show. This, and I can't believe this oh, barely got released. Yeah. It made like nine hundred thousand in theaters, and. Um, it is it is his nerdy behavior in the beginning where he's completely out of his element and seeing him rise as a hero. Now it is a comedy, but it's an action comedy, and it's really really silly. But there is his arc, his personal arc through it though is serious. I love it. Absolutely. Oh my god. Well, well, one part that did get me was like Jim Belushi finally like kind of toned down. He like he gets involved with that like uh, domination. Oh yeah, yeah. He falls in love with her. You <laughs> I will say this, there is one scene that doesn't work at all, and of course it's the 80s, so it doesn't, you know, there's a lot of homophobia, there is a trans scene that is played so fucking stupid. Oh gosh, I barely, I there, There's a scene where Jim Belushi goes home, takes John Ritter with him, and he introduces him to his dad, and his dad oh, is, yeah. has now oh, had a sex yeah. change, and I thought, wow, this is really forward thinking for 1987, and all of a sudden his dad is like a sex monster, and he's trying to fuck John Ritter, and then I was like, what? You were going so yeah. well, and you derailed. I know, and then Jim Belushi's like, can you believe that cans on this man? <laughs> See, that's the only part I really didn't care for. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, really interesting ideas. It's a fucking weird movie. It's got sci-fi throughout it. Um, it's about this secret agent who's recruiting a normal dude to help him uh, make peace with an alien race that is coming down to meet with them. And it's so... The, the, the big thing is so small, but everything around it is so crazy. They're having these constant shootouts and explosions and, and all these fight sequences where it just... It's so wonderfully silly. 
that I, I, I absolutely love it. I own it on uh, Blu-ray. I, I had to get it. I don't blame you. Yeah, no, I really enjoy it too. Oh, God, even the uh, part where uh, John Ritter is like, kind of like getting into the element, he's like pointing his fingers and going bang and people are ended up dead. <laughs> yeah, and the what? funny thing is they could have played that so differently, but it works because he himself can't believe what's happening. He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Oh, at the very end when that backup agent, you know, as he's crawling around, dying, and uh, John Ritter goes bang and he ends up killing the, uh, the traitor, you know. Who's like selling info to the Russians? Who's like head of the CIA? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it rarely slows down. This is a move, move, move comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just again, John Ritter, I think is just like you know, great when it comes to comedy. Yeah, he didn't um, get to make a lot of Freeze movies. Company. He didn't. Uh, he did Hero at Large when he first was on uh, like the first couple seasons. Of Three's Company, and this is right between him doing uh, him finishing off Three's Company, uh, aka Three's a Crowd, and starting on Hooperman for a couple years. So he does this, and then there's Hooperman for two years. Then he uh, then he has like a streak of movies where he did uh, Skin Deep, Problem Child, Problem Child Two, Stay Tuned, and, and, and on from there. Yes, and oh god, Meatles are all wonderful movies, and he does. He has like a, a lot of charm. Oh, uh, Noise is off. Oh yes, thank you. I forgot about that. Noise is off, and I think he did another show, but uh, it was called Hearts of Fire, and he would just do movies sporadically after that. But he is sorely missed. His energy in this and his sweetness um, is absolutely wonderful. Oh my gosh, I, you, you know, like those people on uh, Bad Santa de- definitely had to cherish every moment. <laughs> every time he goes, uh, "Oh yeah." Oh yeah, I'm gonna f you in the a till you can't a uh, s right. <laughs> S H I T right for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Such a ridiculous performance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yes. Yeah, so that one is free on YouTube if you want to check it out. What is our next film? Okay, uh, this one that did get to me. Uh, I ended up just uh, watching this last night. Um, it was like, Three Men and a Baby. I had no idea it was on Disney Plus. Uh, but then again, realizing you know with that the uh, acquiring Fox, they're allowed to do that. Actually, no, and that is I, actually uh, a Touchstone film. Touchstone is a Disney division. Oh, oh my God, I forgot. You're right. Yeah, it's like a Spielberg Disney co- collaboration, wasn't it? I don't think so. Silver Screen Partners, I believe. Uh, what it was is in the '80s, Disney Damn was win. completely lost, and. Um, their animated fair was not working. Their big budget fair wasn't working. So they decided in 1984 to distribute Splash as their first more grown-up production. Um, that's when they developed Touchstone Pictures. And, of course, in 1990, they created Hollywood Pictures, which would be more like the R-rated and, and genre fair. But uh, Three Men and a Little mm-hmm. Baby was somewhere in between a Disney movie and not a Disney movie. So they sent it over to Touchstone, directed by Leonard Nimoy, of all people. But it makes sense if you've, yeah. seen, if you've seen Star Trek Four, you get why he got this job. Oh, God, yes. Uh, like I said, the comedic timing was perfect. Uh, I mean, just touching up on the subject of these three bachelors, you know, really, they seem to be very successful, you know, kind of having some tough luck with ladies. I mean, they get plenty of action, you know, that's not deniable. However, out of nowhere, this baby just shows up on their doorstep, and it's Ken Danson's who's away uh, filming a project in Turkey, and it's just, you know, pretty much like everything that does come with uh, raising a baby, but amped up to a kind of a stereotypical level. 
Yeah. Like, they that, have no idea what they're doing. Well, to be fair, it was newer at this time. This cliche would be played up over and over and over after this movie was a massive hit. Um, and Baby Boom came out around the same time. They both kind of covered the same bases, both of which I saw in the theater. But I had to stand in line for a very, 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 very long fucking time to see this movie with my mother and sister. <laughs> I've never been in a packed theater before, and I was like, this line is going forever. And it was not a big theater. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a newer idea at the time. So yes, yeah, seeing it now, it seems a little stale. But this was a massive Christmas hit. And I don't think it is that great. It's, it's comfort food. And I think that's why a lot of these Christmas movies are successful. Because you can take the whole family and not offend anybody. Um, this was one of those, uh, I think, cramped between productions of a TV show. Uh, because Ted Danson was on Cheers and Tom Selleck was on... Um, Magnum P.I. at the time and Steve Gutenberg made four movies in 1987 so it feels like it was a really fast shoot and I'm guessing Ted Danson was not available for most of it because he doesn't show up until the second half of the movie really exactly yeah because he's far and away and like some of his uh, scenes were shot much later yeah I'm sure and, and... Gutenberg, Gutenberg is nice and pleasant but he clearly is Exhausted from shooting all the other movies, but Tom Selleck is firing on all fucking cylinders in this movie. He is amazing. Yes, I was about to mention that. Out of all those guys who are like really looking after this kid, he definitely he he even gets to where you know Nancy Travis shows up. You know the character Sylvia. He you tell like in his face he's like genuinely kind of like hurt and saddened, knowing that she is coming to reclaim the baby Mary. Yeah. So I was like, oh. Well, you also have to think about and, what's going on off screen. So for Ted Danson, he is still red hot in the middle of Cheers. Steve Gutenberg is loaded to the gills with movies. Tom Selleck is licking his wounds after three unsuccessful films. And this is his first movie since 1984. He hadn't done one since Runaway. And Magnum P.I. Wow. was coming to an end. He needed a hit or he was not going to go anywhere. He was going to stay on television. And so you can see he is hungry in this movie. Right. Oh, God. Honestly, I couldn't tell. I just thought, you know, he's just a guy who really gives a good performance. Like I think he does, but you can see that he's kind of given a little bit more than everybody else. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I think that one scene where he goes to uh, get diapers and supplies, he's talking to that lady, the sales sales lady, for, like, a while, like, trying to figure out what to get. Yeah. How old is your baby? (laughs) This size? This age? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. But again, Leonard Nimoy does have great comedic timing. And uh, just to make it all work, it definitely shows. Yeah. What is the whole drug subplot? I don't understand. How did the drugs end up in the baby's diaper? How, why are they there? Well, what had happened. What's that? Well, what had happened was um, that particular plot, uh, Ted Danson was talking to, like, a producer. A producer told him, you know, he's like, hey, is it right if I drop off a package here and you can just give it to my, my friend can come pick it up later? They're like, oh, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, as far as it getting actually in the, you know, baby's diapers, Steve Gutenberg was putting oh, there, you know, Oh, okay, okay, that's what I missed. Yeah, I've seen this movie a bunch, and I had, this is another one of those that made the VHS tapes, but I haven't seen it since, like, the early 90s when we tried to find the ghost in the background. Do you remember this uh, urban myth? Oh, that myth, yeah. yeah. Uh, I only looked it up after I watched the movie, but I'm like, okay, yeah, I didn't see it go. There. Yeah, I, when I was a kid, though, we looked for it, and it freaked yeah. me out. I ran out of the room. I was like, nope, not watching this. Got to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Michael. Well, hey, Michael, you know, when I was a kid, every time um, the Tales from the Crypt uh, theme would start, you know, the little intro, 
right near the end, right before the end, I would run and hide in the bathroom before the crypt keeper popped up and screamed and like you know <laughs> shook his head all over the place. But did you watch the rest of the episode? Yeah, I watched the episode. What the but fuck? Like That's the, the worst part. <laughs> <laughs> it just pops out and just shakes his head all around. It just freaks me the fuck out. <laughs> exactly. I almost I went to Fright Night. Um, uh, I'm, I'm curious if the sequel is any good. I haven't seen it since it came out, but that'll come up probably on our 1990 episode. So, what is our next film? Next film? Oh my god, Back to the Beach. I watched this so much as a kid uh, during summer break. Uh, it, it played along with, like, you know, summer school, uh, One yes. Crazy Summer. And this, this is definitely a tribute to those old, uh, well, to that, like, what, four set of uh, beach movies with Frankie Avalon. and Right. Well, that was a whole mini genre. Most of them from American and uh, international productions is uh, they took these kids that were, like, ex-Disney or ex-pop stars or whatever they are and then made these movies centered around them, made them cheap, like, you know, shot them in a couple weeks on a beach, and they made an insane amount of money because nobody was making movies for teenagers at this time. And it became a whole mini genre for like four or five years there. And this is a love letter spoof of those movies. And this is another one was on the VHS tape. We watched a bazillion times. I know this movie back and forth. And you are correct. It is like the perfect summer movie. Um, it's sweet, but not condescending. It's not stupid, but it has kind of a goofball tone to it. But it's very subversive in its humor. And there's a lot of cool cameos. Oh god, yeah, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Like rewatching it recently, I'm like, no fucking way. Yeah, and Fishbone like, and uh, Paul Rubens uh, yeah. as Pee Wee Herman, and then you have all these old guys from you know TV shows and movies from the past. It's just like this big circle. I wish they'd make a movie like this now, Back to the Beach, or Back to the High School, or something with like teen stars of our, our youth. Exactly. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, realizing it now, like the character development, I, I appreciate it a little bit more. It's like, you know, they're they're just kind of like hitting their midlife crisis. You know, uh, Frankie Avalon's a workaholic. Um, and, of course, him being away from home so much kind of has an effect on Annette. Uh, what I did appreciate, too, is that it was the actual footage of Frankie Avalon and Annette in their younger years. Like yeah. He appeared on, uh, was it Ed Sullivan or was it a different show? She was on the Mickey Mouse Club. Yes, her, but Frankie Avalon, I can't Oh, remember. maybe. I mean, he was a singing artist, so he probably did a lot of touring on those shows. Um, so I'm not sure which, which what it was from. Yeah, I'm like, oh, gosh, why am I blanking on the... Uh, it'll come back to me later. But yeah, yeah just like seeing like, you know, the uh, cultures kind of... Well, not necessarily cultures, but like the... Uh, generation gap. The different cliques. Yeah, the generation gap and the cliques like kind of clashing. Like you had the metalheads and the punks, like with Zed, and um, of course Frankie Avalon's own son Bobby going through an identity crisis. My name you know, is Knife. Did you just say Nice? <laughs> no, I said Knife. Nice. I'm never mind. I'm changing it back to Bobby. Oh no, he <laughs> goes. Know. He goes by Surly, and they go Shirley. <laughs> Bobby's a tougher name than Shirley. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I said Surly. Oh, I love that kid. Do you know who that kid is? You tell. He's the $2 kid from Better Off Dead. Fuck, that's why his face looks so familiar. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I was like, God, why have I seen that him before? And now looking back, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, there's so but many yeah. gags in this. There's, a, there's one gag, though, that you may not get, which was huge at the time, is um, uh, Annette Funicello was the spokesman for Skippy Peanut Butter. 
And there's that gag in the beginning. He's like, another peanut butter and jelly sandwich, Mom. I'm sick of them. And she's just scooping the peanut butter out of the Skippy thing, whatever, with such glee. <laughs> right. Oh, God. And then she has, like, a shitload in her freaking yeah. in one of the pantries. But, yeah. Um, but it was, again, like, just the way overall, like, the performances of everybody was really sweet. And, um, oh, my gosh, that sequence at the end with the big riding the big wave. Oh, yeah, it's so ridiculous. And they're playing the Indiana I Jones know. music. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, it's a Paramount film, so Paramount had rights yeah, to yeah. do that. So, hey, uh, it worked. And the musical <laughs> numbers man. are fun. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, it just flowed uh, naturally. It just, again, all around just upbeat, happy, positive. And there were some conflicts, though. Like, Freaky Avalon did punch that one... Like you know, sleaze ball. <laughs> uh, the like, guy, the guy with the banana hammock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's Ugh. a lot of fun. This is a, a, a absolute favorite in my house. Oh, absolutely, it is for me too. I like I have to watch it uh, every summer now. You should Dad, see. Have you seen summer? Uh, the pirate movie with uh, Christy McNichol? No. It's Pirates of Penzance, but with a new twist, and it's a summer movie, and uh, we used to watch that with um, Back to the Beach. They go really well together because they're so silly. Oh, absolutely. Okay, I'll have to look into that one. Then. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it. It was on YouTube not that long ago. It's it's a lost movie. It only was on DVD for a brief moment. That was it. Mm, okay. All right, I'll what's the next film? Okay. Last but not least, oh god, this one uh, I never watched before, and me being a huge Robin Williams fan, it's a sin. So yeah, yeah I'm yeah, actually good shocked Vietnam. by this. What the f- really? Yeah, and we're at six. Are you sure? Real Men, Adventures of Babysitting, Back to the Beach, uh, Moonstruck, Moonstruck. Oh yeah, okay, okay, yeah, we're good. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> Right, um, but yeah, no, uh, Good Morning Vietnam. My gosh, this is what uh, got Robin Williams that Oscar nomination. Unfortunately, he lost to Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, but this turned him into an A-lister. This is what everybody started looking at him for stuff that wasn't comedic. Yeah, even though he did give, like, like you know, great, you know, jokes and a comedic and vibrant performance. However, uh, during, uh, later on in the movie, oh my God, you can see, like, uh, when he gets dramatic and it hits, it's like yeah. damn. And I'm, I'm gonna. This is a hot take, and people are gonna probably be pissed off. And, and no insult to someone who's gone, but the first half of the movie is fucking exhausting. Not annoying, exhausting. He's so full of energy, and he never stops. And it's just kind of tiresome. And then when he starts getting to the meat of the story of him getting kicked off and getting punished, and you know the rebellion between him and the guy running the station, then the whole conflict with what's actually going on in Vietnam. That's what's interesting to me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is great that he's, like, kind of cha- – to me personally, it's great that he's changing up the things, like, you know, boosting morale. Morris Whitaker loves him. Um, oh, God. Uh, Hulk, the guy who thinks he's funny when he takes over. Oh, God, is like, he oh, not God. funny? Holy fucking crap. Rest in peace, Bruno Kirby. But he plays such a stick in the mud who thinks he's hilarious and isn't. No. Oh, God, no. Oh, no. And then there was a <laughs> – I love when he commits them because I I know in my heart that I am funny, sir. (laughs) No, no, you are not. Shut up. (laughs) I know. I loved how the... Oh, gosh. Robert Wall, though, great support. Yeah. Uh, From him and Forrest Whitaker, both. Hands down. You know what's funny is Uh, Forrest Whitaker, while he was uh, over there, uh, is when he shot Bloodsport. 
I think he did Bloodsport right before Good Morning Vietnam. So he did like in the same area and back to back was great. Oh, I didn't know. Uh, I can't. I don't remember Forrest Whitaker being in a Bloodsport. Yeah, well, Bloodsport's terrible. There's another hot take. People out of all the competition movies that Van Damme was in, Bloodsport's fucking terrible. I'm sorry, but it's, oh, it's dreadful. I'll have to rewatch it. I'm, I'll have the stomach to rewatch it then. My sister and I laugh about it all the time because in the beginning they got this kid and they must have just found any white kid on the street that was available where they were shooting this and said, you're Van Damme. You don't look like him. You don't sound like him. You have no acting ability whatsoever. Go be Van Damme. And he goes on the screen and he goes, I am fighting the Kumite. I'd make my father proud. <laughs> it's fucking worst. Oh, gosh. <laughs> give me Lionheart, people. Give me Lionheart. I'll have to rewatch that. <laughs> But oh man, no, JT Walsh. Uh, Holy has, shit, uh, King of the Assholes, right? Yes. Oh my god, you wanted to punch him every second I saw his face. Oh gosh, he didn't like he didn't like Robin Williams at all. And then later on in the movie, like close to the end of it, when they're going through that trail, that was a hot spot they weren't supposed to. He sets them up. It's like he tries to get them killed. It's fucked yeah. up. Then the bureaucracy, oh and then we're going to revisit this in a few years with Air America, but with hiding so much from American uh, people, you know, civilians. What is going on over here? With such bullshit, you know, they gotta, oh we got to promote this, we got to promote that. We can't tell people this, tell people that. This doesn't exist. You can't say that. Oh yeah, no, the Stanton twins. Oh my god. <laughs> Do you recognize I them? I get a little kick out of them. Yeah, they were from a. Uh... Terminator 2 Judgment Day and uh, Gremlins 2 The New Batch yeah. and also Mom and Dad Save the World and I think an episode of Eerie Indiana I feel like they're in the very first one with the I don't know if you ever saw that show oh with the kids uh, being preserved yes like in the, uh, and they showed up at the very end yeah I think oh yeah I, that was them wow wow I can't believe we're done with 87 this is the longest I think we did 5 episodes total in 1987 it's such a wonderful year we skipped a lot of movies because I don't have every movie in existence and I don't want to exhaust Jacob <laughs> I really <laughs> look I love the 80s but I'm exhausted with the 80s you know what I mean like we've been obsessing over this for almost 20 years now this decade and I can't wait to get to the 90s because it's a decade that's just now that people are starting to talk about and I want to be kind of in that zeitgeist <laughs> Oh, definitely. I mean, come on. I grew up with a lot of those movies in the 90s. Yeah. So we're hitting 88 next. I have a huge list that I sent to Jacob with probably like 30 movies on it. You know what he said he wanted to do? Willow. That was it. The only fucking movie he chose was Willow. I I guess we're doing Willow, but you don't want any any others. Oh, no, I definitely do want to do others. I just, I, uh, that was the only one that came to mind because oh, I didn't I think I started, like, I get the list yet. I was like, it's a short season. But just to give you an idea, no. I handed over four of the action movies. Rob is, sorry, I walked away from the microphone. Uh, Rob is coming back. We took 86, 87 off because there wasn't a lot of action movies to discuss. But um, um, Rob will be joining us again uh, with Action Jackson, Shoot to Kill, Presidio, and Red Heat. But you and I, we have like, if I can find it, I want to find it, uh, moving with uh, Richard Pryor. Um, I have Sunset, I have Willow, Big, Funny Farm, Fish Called Wanda, Midnight Run, Tucker, Amanda's Dream, Married to the Mob, Eight Men Out, I'm Gonna Get You Sucka, Oliver and Company, Naked Gun, My Stepmother's an Alien, Twins. I don't understand what I wrote here. Uh, yeah, Twins? Oh, God, I definitely want to just Oh, Twins. that's uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I wrote Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Okay, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I definitely have to watch all those movies. Well, some of them I definitely know by heart but uh some i'll have to revisit yeah and there's one that i want to discuss but jacob hates it so i might have to record an extra little bit at the end by myself and it's caddyshack 2 
I don't know. I haven't. I don't think I've seen it. I don't think I've seen it lately. Fuck. All right. That's my opportunity. Maybe we'll do Caddyshack too. Uh, and I just hit my levels by smacking my hand too close to the mic. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, I actually enjoy it quite a bit. It's not the same as the first one, but there's some elements I really enjoy. Mm. I I do know that Dan Aykroyd um, uh, was in that movie, if I remember correctly. Mrs. Westerhouse. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I think I might have seen that a little bit when I was a kid. I'm going to need you to suck Maybe. the venom out. <laughs> no, uh, Chevy Chase is clearly phoning it in. Uh, he was paid like a million dollars for two days of work or something like that. Uh, it's got Randy Quaid being totally crazy, which we didn't know was going to be a real thing. Um, Jackie Mason, Johnny S- Jonathan Silverman. Uh, who was the guy who was on um, Unsolved Mysteries? Robert Stack. Uh, Stack, yeah. Yeah, Robert Stack. There's a lot of fun stuff in this. And I really enjoy the second one, so I hope you give it a shot. If you don't like it, we won't discuss it because I don't like to crap on movies. But uh, that'll be our next season, so we'll be picking up in a couple weeks with 1988. Yes, the year I was born. Oh, I always forget. I always think you're born in 89. So you are 12 years old, right? Why am I discussing old movies with a 12-year-old? Hold on, my math is terrible. <laughs> I didn't. Pay. I missed one day. I slept in, and I missed one class of math that I never picked up. Uh, how old are you now? 33? You're almost 33, right? Yeah, I'll be 33. Uh, oh my god, more, less than two weeks. Ah, oh, the gray pubes are going to well. start kicking in. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but hey, for all that's worth, I am actually get, being very healthy. I lost 26 pounds, I think. Oh my god, yay! I know, I can wear my large shirts again. And, and maybe for the confidence. And maybe for this birthday, you actually get to go out and do something, unlike last year. Exactly. Oh, God, yeah, exactly. I mean, shoot, I mean, I'm fully vaccinated. I've been vaccinated for, like, over three weeks. I am good to go. Yeah? You going to go see the Giants? Oh, God, I'd love to, but... I, no, they're not going to be playing in town, actually. Oh, sadly. that's too bad. Mm-hmm. All right, um, so that is it. Check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind Podcast. And, Jacob, send us out before I lose my voice, because I'm... <laughs> Kind of. <laughs> All right. Now saying good luck, my friends. All right. And be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes. Shape-shifting master of darkness unleashed an unspeakable evil, but a foolish samurai warrior wielding a magic sword stepped forth to oppose. Before the final blow was struck, I tore open a portal in time and flung him into the future, where my evil is law. Seeks to return to the past and undo the future that is our
everybody. Welcome to Back in Tunes. Uh, Jacob is sitting this episode out. I have one of my guests coming back, Andrew. How's it going, Andrew? Good, Michael. How are you? All right. Now, if you've been listening to the show, you've noticed that the Cartoon Network episodes have been mostly Disney. Um, I don't think Jacob and I have done any of them. So far, we've covered Powerpuff Girls, Johnny Bravo, Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Dexter's Lab. Dexter's Laboratory. And is that it? I think we did, uh, was the I Am Weasel a little bit? Touched no, on that a little. I forgot about that one. But it's, it's been kind of a thing where we do this a couple times a year where we pick uh, some kind of chronological order of Cartoon Network stuff. But this one we're jumping ahead of time because something just came back out of nowhere. And it's Samurai Jack. Samurai Jack, yeah. Loving loving the new, uh, the new look of him, the new beard and everything. He's looking a little grizzly. Yeah, I uh, sadly... Um, our DirecTV pulled Cartoon Network last year. Oh, I have not been seen any of the episodes. I have to wait. I'm a little pissed about yeah. that. Yeah. It, it, so far from, from what I've seen, I mean, it's, it's still the classic, you know, classic feel of the cartoon, uh, but a little, little bit different as far as uh, the look of them. Uh, watched a couple episodes, you know. It, it's, been, it's been doing the old one some justice, so. Yeah. I've heard that the tone is darker. Yeah, yeah, it's a little darker. Um, it's, it's, you know, like I said, you know, he's got a beard, kind of more grizzly, uh, a couple of different types of things. But the, the animation's still, you know, like the classic type of, of uh, not too many, you know, actual animations going on, but kind of that stop motion type of, yeah. of, uh, you know, animation where it's, it's, it's really entertaining, but not a whole lot's going on. Yeah, the animation style, and I've been watching, I pick and chose. If I were to watch every single episode, I probably would not be doing this episode for another couple months, but I picked about four or five for me reason to watch. And I feel like around season three, the animation, not the style, but the whatever they're using to animate it, it seems like it switched over to Flash, because if you watch season four, it looks a little more hard-edged. I don't know if you know what Flash animation is, but you can kind of see it in Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. It's a it's a more affordable way to do animation. Yeah, yeah. I, you notice that, too. You know, I've noticed that when, when you start watching, you know, from especially when you revisit it now. I mean, you know, of course, back then when you're watching it, it's a little subtle and you don't really pay attention to the animation style rather than, you know, the story. But, you know, when you watch it, you go back and you watch it from season one, season two, and then you see that transition. Like, oh, hey, you know, I kind of see what they did there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a noticeable difference. Yeah, this is Jendi Tartofsky's follow-up to uh, Dexter's Laboratory, and it's kind of a love letter to all of those kung fu samurai flicks of the 60s and 70s. If you've ever seen Toshiro Mifune or, like, Street Fighter, even, like, you know, and, and Bruce Lee movies, he has a lot of that, like, inspiration in the cartoon. Yeah, and it, it meshes really well, like, with the martial arts and, you know, kind of the old old guard-type samurai, and, and then you get him, of course, forwarded into the, the future uh, by the villain, uh, and then all of a sudden there's these futuristic kind of uh, aliens and robots and, and really, really different meshes of styles. You have the old old samurai and then, you know, battling aliens, like, what kind of, what kind of you know, D-list movie might that be? But, you know, this this is really well done for being a cartoon, and, you know, this the story and his, his journey is, is really enticing when you're watching it. Yeah, the, uh, the villain, Aku, is uh, voiced by Mako, um, who a lot of people probably know from the Conan and the Barbarian movies. Uh, he, he's like one of those character actors that popped up all the time, but I think that's what his most popular role is. Yeah, as, as far as, I mean, Aku, you know, shapeshifter, everything like that, he, he's definitely, you know, you, you hear the voice and right away, you know, it connects you to, to the He-Man. 
and uh, it, it's really something you recognize right away, and, and you know, you kind of, oh, hey, kind of a little bit of familiarity with, with that. Yeah, and sadly, he passed away, so Greg Baldwin, who did his voice for the video games, like the Cartoon Network games and uh, the Samurai Jack games, he has taken over, so thankfully, even though it's been a long, long gap between the final episode of Season 4 to this new Season 5, they had somebody that was able to do the voice justice. And you've seen these episodes. Does he sound fairly the same? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a slight, I mean, you know, when you're talking to, to somebody who has an ear for, for slight sound changes, you know, you notice it, but in no way does it does it take away from, from anything, uh, you know, as far as enjoying the, the show. And, of course, as Samurai Jack, we have Phil Lamar. Um, I know Phil Lamar mostly from Mad TV. He was on there for, I think, five or six seasons, but he kind of transitioned out of um, that kind of acting, you know, doing sketching and stand-up and stuff like that, and exclusively doing animation now. He He's like in every single freaking show and cartoon, it seems, at some point. Yeah, you notice, you notice that voice around. Um, you know, in this, this episode, this, this show, there's not a whole lot of talking done by Jack, so it's, it's really hard to, to sometimes... I mean, for me, I listen to, to some animation, you know, actors' voices, you know, in cartoons. My, my kids, they watch cartoons all the time. I can kind of pick some out. So, you know, it, it's really it, – it'll it'll go over your head sometimes if you're not paying attention because, you know, he doesn't do a whole lot of talking in the shows. Um, but it, it, it's really – that's what's great about it. You know, there's not a whole lot of dialogue either, a um, lot of, you know, just stop action, and it's it, it, it gets you kind of sucked into it. Yeah, the, uh, the cartoon bounces around between full-on action – and then, then you'll get episodes like uh, the one where he gets a new shoe. Like the whole episode is just him trying to find the appropriate shoes so he can fight. And it's all like it's like a Looney Tunes cartoon. It's only like yeah. uh, set up, joke, set up, joke, and that's the whole thing. And yet it works. Yeah, it's it's you know that's kind of the, the thing too. You know the, these these episodes aren't chronological, so you don't need to. I mean, of course, it helps to watch from sometimes the beginning, but. You know, these, these kind of are randomized, so, you know, you don't get, you know, the story in every single episode. Um, I think one of my, you know, my favorite episodes, you know, he was um, <laughs> meeting uh, the Scotsman, like, you know, with, like, the, the uh, big, big old gun for a leg and everything, and, and <laughs> the interaction between them two. They actually have a couple uh, a couple episodes throughout the series where they kind of team up and, and fight some of the Aku's monsters and, and army and things like that. And that guy's voiced by John DiMaggio, who does Bender on Futurama. Yeah. Also another and that's, that's something you kind of on. notice. Yeah. We're having an awkward silence. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you go, you. No, you go, you <laughs> go. <laughs> Four hours later, still dead. Thankfully, I have editing, so gap, I'll take out the gap. And then people are like, I don't, I don't know what you guys are even talking about right now. <laughs> I don't get it. Why are they laughing? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I wish there was more plot. Uh, sometimes I feel like there's too much, um, and I'm not talking dialogue, I'm just talking, it seems like some episodes are repetitious, like, it was episode 3 where he takes on those giant bug monsters, for 20 minutes, it gets a little mind-numb, uh, where it's just non-stop action, I wish there was more character development, or, or something more story. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of the, you know, episodes are jam-packed, you know, in my opinion, so, so short of time, um, I can't remember. I didn't see it when it originally aired a whole lot, but was it was it was it two of the little mini like stories in in one thirty minute segment? Well, it's it's usually just one main story. Uh, the main movie is kind of cut up because it was condensing. There was three episodes into them, um, and then mm -hmm. after that, the ones that I've 
picked up have all been one straightforward plot. It doesn't have, like, you know with a lot of cartoons where it has, like you said, a 10-minute story or a 5-minute story and then another one to pair up with. Yeah. Yeah, it, and it's it's definitely, like, there's, in the action, you know, you see some of the same frames, the same, you know, kind of animation going kind of in a loop. Um, and some of those episodes, like I said, with the bugs, I mean, there was, there was in one of the newer episodes, uh, kind of the same type of bugs, but a little different uh, when it came to him coming and rescuing somebody. But kind of same design, sometimes the same feel, you know, you get all these these bugs kind of marching in, and it looks like it's in a loop when he's when he's killing each one. Which is which can be at, at one point at some points like okay like this is gonna happen for like five minutes or so but <laughs> you know the 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 main every episode of course you know he's he's trying to to get Aku trying to get him back trying to to kill him slay him um, for what had happened uh, so you, you know that's kind of in the background of his adventures you know he takes many different types of adventures and there's a you know you go through seasons and seasons before that even happens <laughs> almost attempts to happen. Yeah, I was I was horribly disappointed. If I didn't know that season five was airing, I would have been like so bummed because season four ends on him, you know, getting the baby, trying to trying to get back to his parents, and it's kind of an homage to Lone Wolf and Cub. I don't know if you've ever seen those movies or read the comics, but that's about a samurai who has a baby when throughout his whole journey. And I was like, wait, no, this can't be the last episode. It must have been killing people in two thousand four when it ended like that. Yeah, and, you know, you get some, there's definitely some shows that I get into, and, and it kind of ends, and then, like, that's it, it's over, like, no, come on, that can't be it, like, really, that's it, you know, it's, it's, it's happened with me for a couple of, of you know, live action shows that, that I've liked, and it's like, you know, kind of read, the, oh, they get canceled, and it's like, well, there goes that story, you know. Yeah, I hate it when a, when a show gets going, and this has been happening a lot lately with network shows, and I kind of gave up until they, they come to DVD. Um, but there was one I watched called The Player with Wesley Snipes, and I was really getting into it. It's a huge theory, but it's also, like, lots of action. And all of a sudden, like, oh, we're not even going to air any more episodes. I was like, but you, you made 13 of them. Don't stop at episode 9. <laughs> Ugh, what's the point? Why do I even watch TV anymore? Yeah, I mean, it, the one that I can remember, like, you know, it's not as bad, but uh, I, me and my wife were really into the show United States of Terra. I think it uh, it showed on Showtime yeah. or HBO, one of those one of the premium networks, but... You know that had maybe about three good seasons in it, and I think the the last episode of of the series, it's like you know you can tell they they still were had a story to tell, and then it's just bam over and done with. <laughs> so it's kind of something that like really bums you out, like well, you know I'm so emotionally invested in the story, and then bam it's gone. Yeah, the uh, the one I think kills people the most is Pirates of Dark Water. Uh, it was leading up, and it was so close to the end. It's like you only had to get two more pieces of whatever they're looking for. And then it's like, we're done. It's like, no, just just make a movie. Just make, you know, an hour-long episode, something. Just finish this up. It's insulting the fans. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, of course, you know, when, when that happens, the fans, you know, aren't always thought of. You know, it's always a, the, the dollar bill, you know, that's kind of making the decisions. But, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's really hard when, when you get emotionally invested in something like that, and then it's just, it's just gone. Well, the nice part is that with streaming video, you're allowed to continue seasons, even for small chunks. I mean, we've seen X-Files come back, Gilmore Girls, Arrested Development, and now, you know, that kind of idea where people still follow the show, even if there's been a long gap, which is what, you know, is going on with Samurai Jack. I know they're trying to do a movie, and I think maybe that's why they left season four open, is it's, you know, on Wikipedia it says for years they were trying to get a film made, and... Uh, Warner Brothers just kept, you know, eh, nah, we're not going to do it. And then a year later, you, you know, trying to bring it up again, and nah. 
and I think that's that's something that you know in time you, you develop uh, not just you know the people that have watched it for the nostalgia factor but you know as I was watching it recently you know my son kind of got into it so you know just that kind of cycle of, of, of the life of a cartoon you know especially when it's more accessible today um, you just put a couple episodes on and, and get sucked back into it and get be able to listen to everything see everything and then oh you know hey my son's kind of watching it and now he wants to watch Samurai Jack with me you know right. so um, I think you know eventually when 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 the cult audience kind of grows and the networks kind of finally start to kind of oh hey you know <laughs> it's popular again that's when they kind of start trying to put the money back into it but yeah they've they've been trying you know that to kind of continue his story and I'm I'm glad it's back I mean we'll see where where they take it with the new season um and see you know if there's a finish to the story because I mean who's who's not emotionally invested in it by now right I was like if they leave it hanging after season five <laughs> they've done it to themselves they say it's the <laughs> final season so I mean he has to take down a coup and I don't know necessarily if they should send him back to his time um or leave him in the future where clearly he is needed yeah and i mean that's that's kind of the thing you send him back in time does it does everything in the future you know not happen does everything everyone he helped out doesn't happen again so it's it's really interesting to see what they do with it hopefully there's there's some kind of closure to it you know not leave it kind of, of open kind of guessing you know with the audience but uh we'll see i mean it, it should be you know next couple of months or so that we get to see that um, does your son, can he tell the difference between older animation? Like, do you ever watch, like, G.I. Joe or Transformers with him, and then watch something like Samurai Jack, and can he tell that one's older than the other, or it doesn't even matter? I don't think he, he, he really sees that. Um, I think the only thing that we, we had watched together that he noticed the difference was, in, uh, like, the old Ninja Turtles, uh, cartoons. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the first ones that I watched as a kid, I put on for him. And I was like, here, you know, these, these are the real Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, none of that, none of what's on the TV today. But, um, you know, putting that on and, and him watching that compared to what, you know, is available now, you know, he'll notice a difference then. Like, well, they, you know, they don't look, you know, as tough. Or how come, how come you know, Donatello doesn't look mean or Leonardo doesn't look like he's mean or anything like <laughs> that. So it's really hard, especially as, you know, compared to the product that's out today or the movies and you know you got Raphael looking like a mini tank you know the movies you know that are out today compared to you know little little old turtle from the, the cartoon series back in the day you know he notices you know some of the differences do you think if they did a live action samurai jack that it could work it would be it would be interesting i mean it would be something that would have to be you know packed with a lot of cgi um, which you know can make or break a a, a movie you know ultimately um, there's there's been CGI that's been done really well in my opinion like the the newer Ninja Turtles movie the eight you know I forget what the name of it is but the second one they came out with was was a little better done than the first one you know in my opinion it wasn't too bad um, but you know I never I never really liked the whole idea of CGI meshing with with uh, live action especially when you know if if we were to become a live action movie you know course samurai jack would be human but everything else would be kind of cgi so it'd be really interesting to see how that would work i bet you it, they still couldn't match the style that jindy tartofsky brought to this it is it's a cartoon that has tons of style but at the same time it didn't ditch the substance which can make or break a cartoon is uh, oh well it's flashy and everything but who cares yeah and and it's it's kind of because of the world that that he's in you know and, and you get all the kind of magic, the different aliens and stuff like that. You know, that's it's really interesting to see him 
you know, kind of interact with those aliens or those kind of weird type of things. I think there's a couple episodes where he's eating weird stuff that he, like one of the first couple episodes is eating weird stuff that he's never seen before. <laughs> and like, you know, he's kind of like grossed out by it. But um, yeah, it'll, it'll be, I think it'd be difficult to pull off a, a live action for something like that. I can't imagine that he'd eat chicken after being turned into one, which is the most ridiculous episode <laughs> yet. So entertaining. Yeah. I, 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 there's a lot of, you know, kind of episodes out there, you know, for me rewatching it and everything like that. I, I just, I really like the, the interaction he had um, with the Scotsman. I mean, it's, it's, it's really funny. And then, you know, going to save his wife and <laughs> his wife's, you know, more, more manlier than he is. It's <laughs> kind of funny for, for the Scotsman. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed those, those ones. Um, and of course, like I said, like a mesh of styles, you know, you got a, a Scotsman and a samurai, you know, beating up aliens. Like, <laughs> where, where, where would you think of that at? <laughs> you know, it's weird. Um, that he chose to do uh, Hotel Transylvania after the success of this and Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Uh, wait, is that what it's called? The Clone Wars? Clone Saga? The, the Clone Wars, yeah. yeah. The, uh, the series. Yeah, I, I look at Hotel Transylvania and I'm just like, I don't get it. Why would you want to do this? Huge paycheck? I don't, I, I don't get the appeal of those movies at all. Yeah, the, I mean, my son likes them, you know, as far as the, I think the first one is the one we have, the second one we don't have, but he likes the first one. Of course, you know, any, anything really that's a bit a bit goofy and things like that, he's kind of into, you know, for now. You know, us as kids, we don't really have a taste for, for things that are well done or not well done. We just kind of like everything. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of our one of our discussions about, you know, Space Jam, for instance, you know, that movie was the greatest when I was growing up, and... You know, you look back and, and watch it now, and you're like, oh, that's kind of, you know, the acting by Michael Jordan is kind of rough. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> acting in quotation marks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's definitely kind of kind of hard to watch now, and 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 pretty pretty cheesy. But you know, as a kid, you don't you don't see that. So, yeah. you know, my my son likes him. I'll put him on for him. You know, and he's he's just he's loving you know a lot of the cartoons that I'm showing him. Yeah, the one last thing I'll say about this is it's a bummer that he was not able to get his Popeye movie going. I saw the test reel, and it looked good. And uh, Sony decided instead, since children have no idea who Popeye is, they're going to go with Emoji, the movie where literally a piece of crap is a character. A talking piece of crap. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, and that's, that's kind of, you know, an attest to, to the times, you know, People, people know what emojis are. My son, who's you know six, knows what emojis are. You know, if you don't know what an emoji is now, then you know, kind of get with the times, or you're you're you know pretty old. But unfortunately, like I said, that's where the, the money talks, and and people can recognize an emoji more than unfortunately, you know, Popeye the Sailor Man and you know, his righteous acts of eating spinach and uh, beating up a bad guy. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe since he was able to get. Um... I assume because of his frustration with not getting Popeye going is how he was able to get Cartoon Network to say, hey, can you greenlight a final season of this? But maybe he can bring Popeye back as a series. I feel like a lot of these older cartoon characters are being ignored, but get the right project, and they're hot again. Who expected the Smurfs to be red hot? Um, I still don't understand what happened with Betty Boop, how she became such a huge merchandising thing, but I don't, I don't know anybody who's ever seen a Betty Boop. Yeah, and, and if they have it, I mean, the cartoons are really, really, really... You know, fast running. They're not really too substance uh, filled. Um, I mean, my my greatest memory of Betty Boop was in Roger Rabbit when she's uh, serving drinks in the uh, in the club. Um, so it's it's definitely you know you see her even sometimes today. You know, you see her on you know those jean jackets or you know sweaters and things like that. Which is kind of odd because 
it's around and people can see that, but they're blind to it. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. It's like, have you ever seen a cartoon of Betty Boop? They're like, oh, I didn't realize Betty Boop was a cartoon character. It's like, Boop! <laughs> <laughs> they only plastered on all these, you know, jean jackets that were available in the 90s. <laughs> well, well, I assume now that since the uh, the '90s cartoons, basically anything from the '80s, '90s, and 2000s, they they connect with a certain audience. They can be brought back in comic book form, video game form. They can be a part of another thing, like the way it was with Roger Rabbit, where it was introducing a new character, but also cherishing all the old characters, and, and that was kind of an introduction to a new audience. So I feel like pretty much everything from the '80s on is constantly going to be revisited. And then shown to like you know like you, the way you're doing you, you show it to your kids, and and the the you know media outlet for it now is just so much more substantial. I mean, you look at you know back then. I mean, some of my favorite cartoons. It's like okay, I got to be sitting in front of the TV, you know, on Saturday morning at you know 8:30 a.m. on Nickelodeon to see this you know specific episode that I've been trying to trying to watch you yeah. know week by week by week. Oh, Ren and Stimpy. Oh. <laughs> trying to find a new episode of Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> was always a torture. Like, no, Space Madness oh, again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing, too, you know, even, even with that, you know, just, you know, even when you catch it, sometimes it's rerun after rerun after rerun. Um, so now, you know, the, the, you can get on your phone and watch, uh, you know, old episodes. Netflix has a bunch of them. You know, you can do um, YouTube. I mean, th there's just so many different ways you can you can get that content, whereas before, it's just you kind of got to wait, you know, <laughs> a week at a time. Um but it's 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 I'm glad that it's it's easy easily accessible because you know we we talk about doing a show I go you know on, to my TV and and look up Netflix if it's on there if it's not then you know I kind of fire up the my Fire Stick and and watch you know see if I ha I can get some streams on it that way and it's you know we can talk about doing an episode and you know of what we're gonna do whatever cartoon we're gonna cover I'll go and, and put it on and start watching it. Yeah, the uh, Boomerang Network just launched its own streaming service, which is great because everything that we talk about on the show, uh, plus like the old school stuff from MGM and you know the the Looney Tunes kind of things, those are all part of that package. You want to catch an old Hanna Barbera cartoon, and after that, catch uh, Powerpuff Girls. That is your place to go. Yeah, and that's it's really cool. You got those things kind of on demand. I mean, that's that's really the way that that everything entertainment wise is going. I mean, you got HBO Go. You know, you have. Of course, Netflix. You've got CBS. You've got you got a lot of things. You know, I don't. I, mean, I don't know who wants to watch you know a soap opera on demand, but you know, that's <laughs> available now. You know, that's something that you can do, um, and that's kind of the, the direction that everything is going in. I mean, you know, you get wrestling on demand now as well. So you know what's crazy is Samurai Jack. Most cartoons are fairly short runs. I mean, if you if you look at the long uh, haul of like other shows, if a cartoon makes it to a hundred episodes, you're like, what? Um, Imagine what it'd be like for someone who just discovered General Hospital, and they want to watch every single episode. <laughs> You're talking like 3,500 yeah. bare minimum episodes. Years and years of, of watching. Look, you know, I'm going to quit my job. We're getting divorced. We're going to sit around and watch this all day. But if you have Samurai Jack, you're yeah. like, oh, hey, uh, it's only been a week. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, binge watching is a little easier when it's only uh, only three or four seasons. Um, I think that pretty much brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, there's nothing really else I gotta say except check out this show. It is uh, wildly entertaining. Um, not every episode, of course, is filled, like I said, with plot, so I was a little hungry for more story, but it's never boring. Yeah, and I, I will say one of my uh, one of my favorite things about the series, too, is, of course, the, the intro, the theme song. Um, you know, it's something that was, uh, I believe, produced by Wycliffe John, which is odd, you know, as far as there being a cartoon uh, intro, but 
Um, I'm, I'm more of an underground, you know, we've talked about it, underground hip-hop kind of fan, and it really gives you that kind of hip-hop-y, like, kind of feel for it, which, again, hip-hop and samurai is, like, you know, now they're becoming a little more popular, but, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a different kind of feel when you first get into to the show. Yeah, it, uh, the music was by James Venable, who is known mostly for, like, doing the Kevin Smith movies, also did Powerpuff Girls. And I actually think it's Lil I Am that did it. Um, oh, so it might be Wyclef. Yeah. It sounds Probably like Wyclef. <laughs> it does sound like him, but yeah, I'm getting it mixed up. But yeah, I believe it is Lil I Am. All right, so check us out on Facebook under Back in Tunes. You'll find all our episodes there. And um, my new book is out, Totally True Tales, The Epic Life of Manchester Steel. It's up on uh, 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 Amazon eBooks. It's on your Kindle. <laughs> um, anything you want to throw out there before we go? Uh, I don't know. Check out the show. It's awesome. Um, and you can have some feedback. All right, everybody. Have a good night. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Comics on Infinite Earths. This episode, we'll be discussing Batman and the Outsiders. I'm your host, Michael, and my guest this week is Patrick. How's it going, Patrick? Pretty good, pretty good. All right, this was your suggestion, and I'm curious as to why you chose Batman and the Outsiders. Yes, so this is something that I've been aware of all, all these years, and I've never actually read it. And I think for the past few months, we were trying to think of something to do, and I brought this up about a month ago, was it? Yeah, it, uh, and it's my fault. We, we probably could have done this weeks ago, <laughs> but I... Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you got the digital version. I got the physical copy. I uh, I have a huge time, like, just so much difficulty reading digital comics. I feel like I'm committing some sort of sin. I'm like, what am I doing? I got to read the physical copy. <laughs> some people don't yeah, so, I, <laughs> so I went to Comixology, and I downloaded the – there's a volume one. It's the first 12 issues, and I think they have a few bonus things in there, too, that introduces them. And I, I, in my mind, I thought we were doing this a day or two later, so I just – I absorbed all this information, I put it down, and then you mentioned that you actually ordered a physical copy from Amazon, so I was like, okay, and then kind of pushed, brushed it aside, and it just had a, it had like a crash course right before recording. So I, pretty much the last four hours of my day has been <laughs> Oh, well, you can spend it doing worse things, that's for sure. Uh, this is right in my wheelhouse. Uh, 80s, I would say probably around 76 to about, mm, uh, probably about 10 years ago is my wheelhouse. After that, it gets so convoluted. I was trying to read Secret War, uh, Secret Wars for a new episode, and we're talking the one from a couple years ago, and I sat there just scratching my head the whole time going, this feels like homework. I'm not enjoying this. Yeah, you needed a Wikipedia page next to you to try to figure out what's going on, and like, who's this, who's that? Yeah, I like older comics because the arcs tend to be two or three issues a piece. Instead of like, well, we're going to plant something in issue one, and then we're going to pay off in issue 79, and you got to stay with it the whole time and remember that. Yes, and, and I, I kind of like a lot of the self-contained stories, too, The especially in Batman and the Outsiders. There, there's a few that are two-parters. I think the first two issues and then the ones of the Teen Titans is a two-part, but most of them are self-contained, and I like that. Yeah, we uh, we got this with um, what is it? Mike Barr is the writer who I, I honestly I cannot remember why I know the name outside of this, but Jim Aparo is like my Batman artist. He was like the the guy who did it from like '87 to '92, and that's when I was really starting to get into it. So I read this with so much joy, and it's a showcase collection, so it's all the pencils. There's no uh, color whatsoever, so it's so clean and crisp and wonderful. To... Ah, the smell of it too. The smell. Of is he still in the game? 
Is he still in it? You know what? I haven't seen him. He did a run on Green Arrow. Um, God, when was it? It was when his son was Green Arrow, Connor Hawk. And he had changed his pencils to look more modern. Uh, and this is post like Image Comics with their extreme art. And it just didn't look the same. Uh, I was like, oh, no, stick with your old way. That's what we love. Is it even when the paper changed, like the paper they used switched up? Yeah, I think it's when they went to the prestige format. But that, but it was also like you're talking in a time when everybody was going for like super masculine and pouches everywhere and armor. Everybody has armor for some reason. And that's why the 90s kind of suck in comic book people. And then Jim Apero, it just looked like he got um, nervous about his old school 70s style and changed it up, which is a shame because sometimes it works jim lee has advanced very well but some artists when they change their whole style it doesn't look right he's trying to keep up with the times yeah i mean it's it's obviously influenced by neil adams heavily but it has its own unique like look to it yeah it's very it's very simple but to the point yeah Uh, so you don't have to focus too much on the musk the muscles yeah as you said all the pouches and Secret weapon compartments. And and they kind of look like real people. Like, if you were just hitting the gym a lot, you know, it, it's something feasible. Where it is now, it's like, no, no. Ed McGinnis, he drives, like, the biggest muscles in history. I don't know how people even move. Um, so, basically, with Batman the Outsiders, very short run. It was only 19 issues. I'm going to say the first dozen are worth checking out. After that, it gets a little rough. And I can see why uh, it got canceled and then evolved into just the outsiders but the point of the series was that batman was now on his own away from the justice league and he needed somebody to keep him grounded and he chose this team of some experience some brand new to the game kind of as a to be mentors to all these people yeah and i like how he just kind of stumbles upon them too and then just immediately takes them under his wings yeah it's not like he sought them out they just happened to be there and he's like you know what i could use these guys <laughs> So on this why don't team, you, why don't you live in my house? <laughs> yeah, just come on over. I've known you for five minutes. I don't know if I trust you or not, but whatever. You know my secret identity, and this is my butler. Uh, and in this course is when he was not really teaching Robin anymore. Robin had moved on. Uh, he became the main leader of the Teen Titans. So it it kind of se- seemed like it filled that gap uh, of him being like a mentor to somebody. Yeah, I think. With the Justice League, it was too. They, they were too powerful for him. He can't really mentor them. They have. They already have their shit together. He he wanted his like a new team to mold. Yeah, and on this team we have Geo Force, who um, I think you had mentioned earlier that uh, you know he was not a really likable guy. I don't think they really discovered this character until later. Uh, he would join the Justice League. I think around two thousand seven or two thousand eight. And they explored his character some more. But if you look at his powers, it seems insane that people haven't gone, oh, this guy should be an A-lister because it's bonkers how powerful he is. Yeah, he can manipulate the ground, the earth. He can shoot lava out of his hands. He can fly. Though I still have no idea how he flies the way he flies. Just shooting off on one side. If <laughs> you just go, yeah, <laughs> into his team or into somebody else. Right or, or he just moves his hand the wrong way. <laughs> he, just, he shoots Halo right out of the sky. Sorry, again, I keep doing this. Like, how does he even... I, every time you see someone who blasts stuff out of their hands, I'm always surprised their hand just doesn't explode. It always just seems to... I, no damage. Yeah, it, like, things you're flying over don't heat up. This lava has to go somewhere, right? Yeah, right. You think so much property damage from the lava shooting out everywhere. 
Maybe he just restricts himself to oceans, like flying over oceanic <laughs> no, surfaces. No, we clearly see he does not. <laughs> All the fish he, are dead. That's why we have global warming, you son of a bitch. He just takes a long way so he doesn't go over like a neighborhood. Yeah, and Markovia, made up country. Yes. Yeah, made up country in Europe. Is it Eastern Europe? I think they said. It always seems like whenever they make up a country, it is Eastern Europe. It's like, no one knows anything about that except Germany and Russia. Just let them go. They all end in Bania. They do show a map of Markovia, and it's just, there's a little arrow, and it's nestled in between two other countries I've heard of. So, <laughs> who knows? They're probably clearly made up. Uh, and there's well, just like, there's a rage and civil war going on there? Yeah, that's that's part of it. And it's funny, is it's 1980s in here, but all the soldiers look like they're clearly out of World War II. Maybe they had old gear. The U.S. dedicated, like, donated old gear to. to no, we, we got this from the Nazis, but Harry, just go ahead. And then, oh wait, you turned on us. Uh oh. Old rations. <laughs> yeah, he's in the middle of a civil war, and that's how we kind of catch up with our team. And uh, besides Geoforce, we also have Halo, who also pretty uninteresting. And I don't like. Yours, I think you said something about they were not that she's not around anymore. I haven't seen her since this. Uh, yeah, this is the only time I've ever heard of her. So she's she's a blonde teenager. I think she's possessed by some kind of light force, and she doesn't remember who she is. Amnesia, it's such a common thing in comic books. I mean, have you ever met anybody had have amnesia in any way whatsoever? Except, you know, not no, and I, dudes. I've looked this up. The way that television and movies and literature portray amnesia, it's you can't really get that. They're always doing that. They're always like, I don't remember anything. I was like, well, do you remember how at least eat cereal, you know, put on your shoes, something? Okay, so you remember, you know, you remember a little bit. Yeah, they know functions. They just can't seem to grasp who. Yeah, I just never, I've never heard of that. I've heard like, you know, after like shock therapy or something like that, you can forget like a small chunk of your life, but not like the whole thing. No, no, she doesn't. I don't even think she understands the powers that she has, but yet she knows how to control them very quickly. Now, Geoforce got his in the first issue by being blasted by some sort of stupid Geo... Like, everything, every time they do this in comic books and movies, it just seems like there'd be some serious side effects. Like, you're puking, your hair falls out, your skin's burned. No, he, he seems to be perfectly fine. He comes out of the little chamber that they put him in, and he's ready... To, he's raring to go. He's yeah, he's like five seconds, like, hey! <laughs> He knows how to he knows how to work all this stuff. He knows how to fly. He knows how to shoot lava. He knows how to pick up chunks of land and toss it. It's nothing. Yeah, it's like there's no learning curve at all. Like this is the exact opposite of Greatest American Hero, where it took him three seasons to learn how to use his powers. This three seconds. Well, there is a limitation of television in the 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, the budgets were tiny on that. Uh, Halo, how does she get her powers? Uh, she is possessed by a light force. She she glows different colors, and I think every color has a different meaning. I, the one I remember is red means. So her power is aura. Oh, she's kind of a yeah. hippie chick. <laughs> yeah, she. I think she can stop stop. She has like a stasis power. Where she can slow things down too. And then we also have Black Lightning, who had a run in the 70s but it kind of died off and he i think by this time he had been in the justice league for a short run but kind of faded away in popularity i, I thought it was kind of cool that they would bring him back I and mean, they kind of would do this like a bit every decade like i think in the 90s he had a short run and, and now he's kind of a hot item because of that tv show but we're getting him in a weird phase where he doesn't want to be a hero anymore and he's just crippled by guilt yes he had accidentally killed a woman somewhere 
Yeah, from it, what I understand, he was fighting like these criminals, or whatever, and he used his lightning powers on one guy, and he, as he was falling, his gun went off and killed the the innocent bystander, and I, I don't see why he's guilty. I mean, I I guess if you really want to save lives, it probably eats away at you. But I mean, there's an issue in here where they want to kill him, like sentence him, sentence him to death because of this crime. Yeah, and you're in the business of stopping crime. I'm sure there's going to be some collateral damage here and there. Yeah, I mean, it's the intent. Did he want to save her? Yes. <laughs> Deal with it, dude. Deal with it. Yeah. And he put some kind of mental block on himself, so he his power shut down. Yeah, and that's and that's where we are in the first issue is he is basically pretending to be a hero. He is crippled, so he can't really do anything. Um, so he's just basically punching and kicking, and, 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 you know, and, and his lightning powers haven't uh, reactivated. So the one thing I was just thinking about that, I just thought of this right now. I don't know why I thought about it earlier. But so, so Batman recruits him to go to Markovia to rescue uh, Lucius Fox. And do you think Black Lightning would have just casually mentioned, like, oh, by the way, I don't use my powers anymore? Yeah, it seems like it'd be important since he's being put in that position that he would say, hey, look, I got, um, how would you put it, uh, electile dysfunction? Yeah, we're going, <laughs> we're going to a country that has a raging civil war. There's there's security guards everywhere, armed men. There's tanks. You would, you 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 think Black Lightning would be like, you know what? Maybe this is not the place for me. Yeah, at some point, Batman would be like, "Look, I needed you to have these powers. You let us down. You're gonna be like, guess what? More innocent people are going to die because of your stupid decision." Yeah, and so Batman and Black Lightning get kidnapped at one point, and they're they're chained to a wall, and Batman's like, "Oh, thank God." Black Lightning's here, he's going to use his shock powers, he's going to get us out of this mess, and he's kind of giving him that look, you know, out of the corner of his eye, like, all right, now, now's the time, this is this is my cue, and he, nothing happens, he does nothing at all, and they end up getting, they end up, I think he ends up unleashing the power somehow, but after that, Batman's like, what, what took you so long? And he's like, oh, well, I didn't think I had the powers anymore. And you could have told me this five minutes earlier, I don't know, yeah. anything, <laughs> give me a hint. And they're taking on Baron Bedlam, who is a, uh, an old school villain. You don't see much of him anymore, but uh, during the 60s and 70s, he seemed like a big deal, like a old Hitler era holdover kind of thing. You know, like in the Marvel Universe, he'd be like a Captain America villain. So he existed prior to this issue. Oh, yes. Okay, I never heard of him. Yeah, he's, he's one of those guys that would just pop up every once in a while. He was always kind of a half assed villain. That's the only problem with a lot of these, like, lower tier comics. Like, I went through the showcase collections of Booster Gold and Blue Beetle before this, and um, it would have been nice if they had at least given them a shot at some real decent villains. They either gave them, like, the D-level guys or make up somebody that was just so terrible. Like, oh, here's a new villain, and he's not going to be around after this issue. And yeah, it's kind of the villains they use on Arrow in the Flash TV series. Kind of. Well, I think the Flash has a hell of a rogues gallery. Not so much the Green Arrow. Green Arrow has, like, two good villains. Dr. Vertigo and Merlin. Um, I think they, they even carried over some Batman ones, too. Oh, definitely. In the TV show, they've been taking a lot from his world. Uh, but I'm talking about, like, in the comics, he only has, like, two or three serious, like, rogues gallery kind of guys. Um, so you get some of these newer characters, and they don't have a built-in rogues gallery, so they have to borrow and build. And sometimes it's success, and sometimes it sucks ass. Yeah, you get, like, cryogenic man or... or oh, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> We're going to get to that guy in a minute here, but here's something that I don't understand. How is it that Rex Mason, a.k.a. Metamorpho, uh, just falls apart in chunks? I don't... How? What? <laughs> yeah, I had, a lot, I had a lot of questions about this. So he he can 
mutate into objects, gases, liquid states. Uh, he, I think he turns into a car at one point. What? I must have missed that. There's one where... There's one like I think there's one where a bunch of people are about to get hit by a car and he like morphs into another car, and it's it's really confusing. He's another guy with insane powers, and it, it just seems like they're untapped. Like a writer just goes, "Eh, he's ugly looking. He's not that interesting of a character. I don't care." But he's convenient when needed. When yeah, need, and he's died like sixteen times. I mean, he dies like twice in this issue, uh, this uh, collection. <laughs> the dude dies all the time. So maybe he's just some kind of unkillable force. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, he gets hit by lightning and he gets back together, which, again, huh? So his body's there. His body's in Markovia. Or parts of his body's there. Yeah, it's just, no, it's all in chunks. He's just like sliced deli meat sitting on the floor. It's so strange. Yeah, I, I feel like there's there's a prequel to this. That, that there is. They, they explain they, they it somewhere in here. Because I'm trying to figure out how... The, Batman just comes across Halo. She's just laying on the ground unconscious. <laughs> that does seem strange, right? And he's just like, oh, a young girl in the woods. <laughs> and glowing. We'll see what this is all about. Yeah. It's like, he had a mission. Wouldn't he just, just make sure she was okay, move her aside, and take right? off? Right? <laughs> he doesn't know whose side she's on. He's so trusting automatically. <laughs> um, and, and, we, and we haven't mentioned the last, the wild card here is Katana, who everybody knows now from Suicide Squad, who... I don't remember ever being part of the Suicide Squad. I don't get where that came from in the movie. I think they just needed another name because she also was on the third season of Arrow. They used her in flashback sequences. Maybe they had the name and they, they could draw more people into it. Maybe. I don't know. I got six issue, or six episodes into season three and I was like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm kind of done with this. I'm kind of done with Arrow for now. Yeah, that was a rough year. Yeah, I don't know. I might go back. Is it getting better? I, I don't know. I haven't watched beyond that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we get to the end they've kicked Baron Bedlam's ass and they finally form a team at least they didn't do it in some awkward way where hey that news reporter called us this we should call ourselves that like the way it was in New Warriors <laughs> I always... oh, yeah I think Batman refers to them as, as outsiders like we're all outsiders here and one of them is like that's our name that's what we're going to be we're, we're the outsiders yeah. well Batman and the outsiders and some of these villains, you're looking at them, like Cryogenic Man, at least that went for a few issues. You know, they didn't just toss them out there, but like Agent Orange, what a dumb... It's, some of these villains are so terrible. But yet, I'm captivated by the oddball quality of this comic book, and the art's fantastic. Yeah, well, it worked. As ridiculous as it was, it worked. Yeah, have you ever even, uh, even... read The Defenders? No. Um, so the series started off as being the Hulk, Silver Surfer, Submariner, and Doctor Strange, and they kind of took on, like, the uh, mystical, the fantasy world of Marvel. You know, because Avengers are always doing, like, the mainstream villains. So their stuff was always kind of off-kilter. But then, for some reason, around 1984, I think, Marvel decided to get rid of all four of those. The big guns. And they brought in Angel, Beast, Iceman, Valkyrie, Gargoyle, um, Nighthawk. But it was, it was really strange. It was like the C and D level characters, and that was it. And yet, that's when the series was like the most fascinating because it was just like the leftovers got together. <laughs> no one else wants us. Well, you know what? Sometimes those leftover stuff works. Like, like this works. Like, the outsiders works. Yeah, these are all like guys like left, like out of left field kind of choices, and I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, and I think 
by throwing Batman into it, it worked because it drew, it drew people to it. Because would you just watch or read something called The Outsiders just based on looking at these people and hearing about their powers and the villains they face? Because I probably would. Probably not. And I think that is why, you know, I, I still don't understand why at issue 19 they pulled Batman from it. It's not like he was a real person and they were gonna it was going to cost him a ton of money. Uh, so they rebooted it in 85 in like prestige format paper and just call it The Outsiders. And it's terrible. I, and I don't know if it's because it doesn't have Batman or because the creators changed. I don't know what it was, but it, was, it wasn't it was selling whatsoever. It didn't last that long. I think it was only a year maybe. Yeah. Or, or even less. Same thing happened in the 90s. They tried to relaunch them with like extreme art, you know, and uh, it, yeah, it didn't last either. <laughs> well, my, my favorite thing of, of this whole series, I, I just have to bring this up. We get... Batman quitting the Justice League. I just thought that was great. Yeah, it's kind of a badass moment to walk in on. You're like, huh? What is this? It's yeah. The whole thing is launched because they won't go into Markovia and stop this. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, did they go into? Yeah, they do go into Markovia in the first issue, right? Yes, they. Oh, well, Batman goes there. The uh, the Justice League don't. Right, and the government tells them they can't go. Uh, and Batman's like, this is ridiculous. We go where people need us. It doesn't matter. The government shouldn't be telling us. We're heroes, and it's what we do. But they're government agents during this time period. So they were beholden, which is strange. What you makes wonder why Batman was ever even part of the team in the first place. Well, when he gets on the Justice League satellite, that little, like, orbiting space headquarters, it's increasingly awkward. He... As soon as the outline of Batman's figure begins to materialize in the teleportation thing, the rest of the Justice League are all like, hush, he's here, we can't talk more. <laughs> and Batman comes strolling in, he's ready for business, he's like, we need to bail, guys. Um, my bro Lucius is in a little place called Markovia, and Superman's like, he's like, what, the like the chairperson of the Justice League? He's like, dude, Batman, we, we need to talk. We need to sit down right now. He puts his arm over his shoulders, the State Department called. They were like, yeah, we can't get involved. We're blacklisted from going there. And Batman d does the greatest thing. He just quits. Right then and there, he just reaches into his pocket. He has a little pocket full of kryptonite. Shout out to the spin doctors and just throws it <laughs> right at Superman. <laughs> oh, my God. Aren't you kind of young for a spin doctor reference? <laughs> never. You're never young for a spin doctor reference. Oh, my God. I was in high school when that came out. You <laughs> must have been like a zygote. I was in, like, fourth grade, maybe? Oh, okay, so you're older than I thought. I think you're, like, 22 or 23. No. Oh. <laughs> but he just throws the, the kryptonite at Superman's forehead. Superman just falls on the ground, and he just takes off. He just pieces out and, and, and quits. <laughs> quits the Justice League. And they don't chase after him. They don't, you know, try to call him at home, call up Alfred, try to talk some sense into him. They just, they're like, all right. This is more Facebook Messenger came around where they could just pester, like, every five minutes. Boing! Not leave me alone. I'm not yeah. coming back. Come on, man. Stop being a dick. It's not you. It's me. Where do you see that he throws kryptonite at him? Did you make that up? No, <laughs> I'm it's looking at like, that right now. It's on, like, it's on like the third page. Really? <laughs> Holy crap. That's a badass move. <laughs> did you find it? No, I'm looking at it. I don't see it, but that's awesome. I'm just going to pretend it's, it did happen. <laughs> it's when he first gets onto, he goes onto the satellite. He tells them that they need to go to Markovia. Superman's, we can't go. Wonder Woman's saying the same thing. And Batman's like, I resign, I quit. And then there's a scene that looks like he's slapping him across the face, but you might not be able to tell because you have the pencil version, but there's little green chunks 
Oh, that's why I can't tell. I see it here, and I see the little black specks. Yeah, yeah okay, in, in, so that's why I couldn't in, tell. In glorious color, it's green chunks of kryptonite. Oh, nice. That's that's a killer move right there. It's like, look, you don't come after me. I'll fuck you up. This is the beginning of the kryptonite. He's got his, like, he does, like, a little pimp slap to Superman, too. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny that anybody would bother telling a goddess and uh, basically an alien uh, with the most power, you know, the most powerful thing on Earth, uh, what to do. Look, we're, we're the government. Look, I know you could probably tear us apart in seconds, but you're gonna have to. We're like your parents. You're gonna stay. You're grounded. You can't go. Yeah, Superman can just fly down to Markovia, just bend the barrels on the tank, the barrel tank guns, whatever they're called, and just fly off. Maybe tie some people up, and that whole civil war could be over in five minutes. And yet, and yet, we have, um, for the most part, I imagine these are like street level heroes, except for like Geoforce. Most of these guys would take on like your lower level villains, and uh, there's a good chance they're gonna die. You know, I mean, just looking at, it, I mean, okay, so we got Katana. That's the last person we haven't mentioned yet, who has the biggest sword in history. Who needs a sword this big? I feel like the artist just went crazy and just said, uh, well, whatever. That's well. Uh, it- well, it looks like it's different sizes and in, in different. Yeah, sometimes it's comically it, large. Yeah, sometimes it, it shrinks, it, it glows. Sometimes it's it changes from page to page. Yeah, but she reminded me of when she's wearing that yellow suit. She reminded me of Uma Thurman and Kill Bill. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> she just she just shows up, and like that's another thing. Like, why is she there? What what was she doing there? No I idea. Think but they never fully explained it. I mean, her only power is that she's an excellent martial artist and swordsman, and that her sword contains the souls of the people she kills with it. So she's a straight-up murderer, and Batman is, like, anti-murder, no matter what the cost. Or Joker would have been dead by now. And yet they're on the same yeah, team. I, <laughs> I think there definitely was a few parts where they were warning her not to. Yeah, it's just funny that you would think that he would be so against it, because, you know, when Wonder Woman snaps Maxwell Lord's neck years down the road... You know, and, and he's like, I never want to speak to you again. You can't be part of this team. You can't even be a hero. And she was like, well, I had to do it or you were going to die. I don't care. You don't kill anybody to save my... Wait, hold on a second. Let me think about this for... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she slices and dices her way through Markovia to oh, get yeah. where, wherever she was trying to get to. She left like a trail of blood. <laughs> <laughs> um, and think... then I love that she takes on this little motherly role to Halo too. like after all that. But despite her being crazy cold-blooded killer yeah she she has like a warm soft side to her um one of my favorite parts of this is uh the crossover with the new teen titans and back then the new teen titans were hotter than hot they were the x-men of dc universe i mean it was where all the great art and storylines were going and since a lot of the stories were uh, about like the newer heroes like cyborg and raven and starfire i we're talking probably one of their top two or three series at this time so connecting itself to that you think would have helped the sales and it might have for a brief moment i'm not sure because you know i was like six at the time i mean i probably would have bought it yeah i mean look at the art george perez still killing it he doesn't do as much as he used to but my god it's amazing but then as soon as i saw that the new t titans weren't in anymore i'd probably back off yeah like hey you tricked me (laughs) yeah hey you you can't put them in for two issues and pull the rug up from underneath me that quick when it comes, give me a little bit. Of, yeah, give me a little bit of time. <laughs> when it comes to the villains, do you prefer single villains or do you like the teams? I like the single villains because I, when they did the Teen Titan crossover, it was the the 
was it the fearsome five yeah which is kind of low rent simon is pretty powerful but everybody else is kind of a, a joke there was too many people in this for me to keep track of who was who and who oh wait dr what. light dr light is a pretty hardcore villain did you ever read identity crisis no holy shit you're talking about the pivotal moment in comic books in dc universe and it's probably the the greatest thing they've ever written probably and the most controversial it's about Dr. Light and how he became kind of a stupid villain. Why did that happen? Why did a lot of these like former A-list villains become kind of jokes later? It explains all of that. And it digs deep into like the C and D level characters that were part of the very first Justice League. You know, like uh, uh, Elongated Man and, and Black Canary and stuff like that. And it's a fantastic story. I feel like they started to get into it in here with a little bit with Dr. Light and Zoom 5. He, he was trying to portray the role of the leader and they just weren't listening to him yeah but and he's like fucking i'm branching off him he he quits so i think he quits the fearsome five at the end yeah and uh him and deathstroke team up in identity crisis and it's the best fight sequence i've ever seen Ooh, i'll have to check that out yeah it's awesome um it's it's hard to hate this even though the villains are kind of jokey george perez's art is just mind-boggling in its detail i can't believe how does he even finish a comic book in a month uh, working overtime, long nights. <laughs> no sleep, no sleep, and lots of caffeine. Yeah. Can you hear me changing the pages? I'm curious if the microphone's picking this up. I'm reading the book as I'm, flip, I'm flipping through it. No, I can't tell. Okay, good. You're good. <laughs> no, I probably shouldn't have mentioned it. Everybody else is at home going, oh, now I'm going to listen for it. Yeah, they're listening. They're turning the volume up a few notches to see what's, <laughs> see what's going on. Um, after that, I, you're right. It does kind of dip down. Uh, it gets into the Cryonic Man, which isn't a... You know, I've realized there's like three cold villains in the first nine issues. That seems kind of strange. I think the, the Cryonic Man, I think, was the first the first villain that I just... I wasn't... And, all right, so he freezes himself with a few other people, the 40s or the 50s? Yeah. And he lies to them, tells them that it's only been a few years, yet it's, it's been three years. He, he basically is just escaping the cryogenic chamber whatever it's called going out and i guess trying to find a cure for his wife or girlfriend yeah it's uh that's you know i gotta tell you this that part i think was poorly explained because i got to that where they where they were still all frozen and you're like hold the phone what and then i had to go back and catch it all over again but it it, the part that really confuses me so they finally figure out what's going on the, the other frozen people and then i guess they're all somehow connected either I don't know, psychically or somehow, and they, they all just decide to kill each other. Yeah, I don't understand how that's even a thing. Um, but yeah, they, they basically kill the Cryonic Man, and oh, we're done. You know, it's over. But in order to kill the Cryonic Man, they have to kill themselves. I, so I couldn't figure out what that was all about. There, there's just one panel where you just see like a bolt of lightning, and it, it's shooting all the cryogenic chambers and the, the cryogenic man. Yeah. And the Batman and the Outsiders is like, oh, well... You know, don't lie to your family. <laughs> That's the moral of the, of the story here. They'll kill you in the end. And uh, issue eight is a Christmas issue. I've always hated special, like, holiday-oriented issues, like Halloween or Christmas or something like that. They always seem like kind yeah. of half-ass just to get your attention. I don't I don't understand those that, that kind of gimmick. Well, if you're reading it in the month of December, it might make sense, but, but... here it is. 
all these years later, and it's May, and we're, we're reading this, and I'm just, you know, I might skip this one. We'll, let's see what the next one's all about. Yeah, the Phantom Stranger shows up in this one, and he's always a guy who seems like he'd be interesting, but every time I've ever read, like, uh, I think it was House of Mystery that he was in, or something like that, and I, I was like, oh, this is so dull. He's kind of like um, the Spectre, yet less interesting. Yeah, it was the Phantom Stranger. Yeah, he's much more interesting later. Like in the last ten years, I think they've done a good job of having him as part of like uh, the Shadow Pact. The Shadow Pact was like a supernatural superhero team, which now is kind of Justice League Dark. Okay, so is this the first time the Phantom Stranger makes an appearance, or is he? he's no, he's been around for a while. He hosted a, like a mystery anthology series throughout like the 60s and 70s but i think he kind of been off the radar for a while and then he showed up in this so he's like a rod serland yeah i guess but he interacts (laughs) but a villain at the same time (laughs) kind of he like yeah he interacts with the characters but he seems like more of a host who's that guy in marvel with the big head is watching the watcher yeah it's it's a weird mixture he isn't a guy who completely sits on the sidelines but he does seem like an observer and narrator, but he gets involved in all the stories. So it's not like The Watcher. It's um, kind of a mixture of The Watcher and Dead Man. Okay. I'm intrigued by him now. I don't know. Maybe I'll have to seek out other adventures with the Phantom Stranger. <laughs> it's a good name. It's a good costume, too. <laughs> it, I, well, I like, the, I like the idea of it. Yeah. But I honestly, I think I just kind of browsed through this this issue. I think issue eight and nine, I just kind of flipped through. Like, yeah, nine is kind of important because it finally addresses Black Lightning's guilt, but it has the most ridiculous villain team ever. I hate it when they're super obvious. I shoot ice, so my name is Ice. I'm big, my name is Block. You know, stuff like that. It's like, just be a little creative, please. Captain Cold. <laughs> no, it was Cold Snap. He literally snaps his fingers and little darts of ice shoot out. And I'm like, how exactly did you gain the power to... Is it the friction of your fingers together shoots out little bits of ice? How do you think that's going to stop anybody? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? They, they, they don't have the time to go into it. I don't, I don't have the time to even want to read into it, so I'll just buy it. I'll just buy whatever they're selling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's uh, the lady who shoots fire, and her name is Heatstroke, and the one who creates wind is Windfall. Yeah, it's a pretty half-assed... Um, I don't think Mike Bubar was up to the task that, you know, to meet the level of quality that Jim Apero is bringing to the game. It just feels like a lot of the stories are seriously lacking, even though clearly there's there's something here to be exploited. You know, there's there's a good storyline somewhere in here. Well, if you're trying to build something up, trying to make something become the next Justice League, you don't want to just throw, like, Windfall and Cold Snap. And honestly, it sounds more like, like a craft beer name. You know? <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's like the Dick Tracy names. You know, that was the '30s, so they couldn't be that creative back then. But you're like, sometimes you're like, nah, that's a little too obvious. You know, let's go on the nose. Is it supposed to be a joke? Well, I can't tell. Yeah, I mean, it, it's fun to have the literal name, but I think too many. It kind of just weakens. Yeah. Uh, the Who final knows? couple episodes here is about Katana's origin, and she faces off with her husband, who was trapped in one of the swords. And uh, I don't care. I don't. I want to care, but I don't care about any of this. By this time, I, I did lose interest. Well, there there are definitely leading up to us. There was a few things. So I think Halo starts to figure something out about the sword because I think there there's an issue where she finds the sword because Katana leaves it behind and she picks it up. So I think she knows that the souls are trapped in there. Yeah. But they didn't really get they didn't really get into it. And that's what I kept waiting for, but it kind of goes away. I don't really get to I don't really get to see how that story plays out. 
that was the disappointment. Yeah, I'm looking at the rest of the issues, and I'm trying to remember if there's anything worth talking about. There's a, there's a tie into the 1984 Olympics because in 1984, everybody's nuts about the Olympics. Oh, it's in Los Angeles. Oh, it's America. Woo! And um, yeah, so you got two issues devoted to the Olympics and fighting off against these villains who are all like Greek warriors. And my are they God, fast and... it's terrible. What is their what is their superpowers? Oh, uh, probably jumping really high, swim really fast. I don't know anymore. <laughs> Jump real high, man. Yeah. Oh, pole vaulter. He jab pole vaults into people. <laughs> forty mile dash. What is it? What is that thing that they dash. put around their neck? You know that, that that ball that they have around their neck and you turn around really fast and throw it. Uh, it's on the tip of my head right now. I can't think of what it is. I know what you're talking about though. But that's an actual like power power. That is a deadly power. I know someone who got hit in the head one with one of shot put. Shot put. Yes. It's a, it's that heavy ball and you get a spin around and try to throw it as far as you can. Yeah, you but mean, if it was me, it'd be a foot. Maybe. That seems like a real villain, but they don't even touch that. And the pole vaulter seems like it could be a really villain. Oh, Batman's head is caved in. You know, we're done. <laughs> but no, they don't even, even attempt it. Someone jumped over him. You can't figure <laughs> out where he went. Uh, was it Batroc the Leaper? No, that's Marvel. Shut up. You can't say that name. Yeah. We'll get sued. He's hanging from, a, he's hanging from the rafters. <laughs> they can't find him. You know, I, I'm not mad that I read this, so I'm not going to say it was a waste of time. I think it was fun. No, it's a I slice it. of history, you know, during that time, and a lot of these characters are important now. It, it's fun to see Batman interact with people that are not the Flash or Wonder Woman or the Green Lantern or the Arrow or Superman. Yeah, and you need to uh, refresh a character sometimes by changing his world, and I think this was necessary, especially since he no longer had Robin around and. It's weird that DC is still so obsessed with keeping the uh, Justice League as the main seven for the most part. Because the most interesting times that Batman has been is when he was with the Outsiders. And when he was with the Justice League when it was really goofy like Booster Gold and Blue Beetle and stuff like that. Yeah, people people that are, that are not really in his league. Yeah, and it's fun watching him get frustrated and kind of insult uh, Guy Gardner, he, you know. <laughs> he punched Guy Gardner. Yeah, he, he took him out in one punch. He's trying to, he's, well, he's trying to, you know, we're going to go into this very dangerous situation, Haley. Don't mess us up. And what's the first thing she does? She she changes into the wrong aura. <laughs> so I think he, I think he kind of like, he likes it. I think he enjoys being the teacher. Yeah. I mean, obviously, and, or he wouldn't constantly be picking up new Robins. Because uh, yeah, we're on the working. fourth or fifth Robin now. Yeah. And letting strangers live in his home. <laughs> no, I'm going to keep everything top secret. No, go ahead. Come in. I'm going to have a garage sale next week. It's going to be in the cave. Come on over. Yeah, and they still don't know that he's Bruce Wayne. Which yeah, that seems kind of dumb. So he tells them that the, the Batcave is underneath Wayne Manor. Bruce Wayne knows about it. He he rents it out to him. I don't know. And he, he's allowed to use his butler. Yeah. And at no point do they go, huh, that's funny. Your jawline is the exact same as Bruce Wait a second. Yeah, well, there. I think there is an issue where Katana meets Bruce Wayne because Bruce Wayne offers her a job at like a bookstore, I think, that he, that he just buys for her he's like i bought you this bookstore i want you to run it it's are you gonna have time to do all this while you're also <laughs> training to be a superhero in a, in a land that you you don't know that you've just been brought to because who knows where you're from originally yeah i mean at no point is she like well look I, I i don't even know legally i can work here or own a business how do i even fill this out how do i do the taxes properly you want me to be a superhero am i supposed to close a store when we're out on adventures i can't hire a staff <laughs> Yeah, it's like, did she go to business school? Did he, she casually bring it up one day? Who knows? Can she even read? Does she even like books? He just assumed. Yeah. 
I, I think it was a, like a, a Japanese bookstore too. So he just assumed that oh she'll know about all these Japanese books, and there was already boxes of books everywhere that she had to put away. So she still had to do all the heavy lifting because I don't think she had a staff yet. I think it was just her. Oh boy. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's a fun read. Um, yes. and, uh, how much did you pay for it on Comicsology? I'm curious. Uh, it was less than twenty, I think. Okay, that's good because, like I said, the collection is now out of print. Uh, so if you can just check it out in the digital, I say, like I said, stop probably around issue twelve unless you really get into it. Some people may love it and were really upset that it got canceled. I don't know. Um, One thing I wanted to point out yeah. though that um, they they didn't make a volume two, but you can buy the additional issues individually. I think up to whenever they stopped doing Batman and the Outsiders. Yeah, there's 19 issues in one annual, and then I believe, like you said, it was uh, 12 issues of the just straight-up Outsiders after that. Okay, so I think you can get all of them, but I I didn't go deeper because I didn't want to pay $2 a pop. No, no. <laughs> uh, what would you like to discuss the next time around? Uh, I've already, I, I'm not quite sure yet. I, I think um, – have you? De- I'm kind of intrigued by that identity crisis that you're talking about is Dr. Light. Yeah, I'm down. I love that. I'll read it again. I read it last year, and I'm like, this is the greatest thing I think I've ever read. I'm, 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 I, think I would say I'm more of a DC guy than Marvel. Not that I shy away from Marvel, but are you more of a DC or a Marvel guy? Uh, I've always been more Marvel, but I'm starting to get into DC now, and I straight up like that world a lot more. Especially, I'm starting to really get into the older thing, the 70s and 80s, even into the early days, just kind of whether yeah. it's Marvel or DC. Yeah, there's a... Uh... I would say the 90s is pretty much a wasteland until around 98 when uh, the Justice League had been relaunched and it was really good. Grant Morrison was writing it. Uh, Batman had the No Man's Land where there was the earthquake that destroyed all of Gotham. Um, And the third one is the launch of Justice Society of America, uh, at the time just called JSA. David Goyer and Jeff Jones wrote it and it's absolutely amazing for its entire run. How many how many issues did it? My produce? God, I think it went to like 120, and oh, that's uh, a good it's um and, and it only got relaunched because DC was going through this whole reboot the universe thing because David Goyer st- stayed on I think for a little bit till Mark Guggenheim took off with the series and it's really really about the history of DC. It takes all of these old World War II heroes and uh you know they're now in our time. And they're training all of the young heroes. So if you like Batman the Outsiders, it's kind of the same concept, except the storylines are just incredibly good. Are they ripped from their time, or are they brought to the future? Are they older? Like, what is their... Well, here's the weird thing. is There was a storyline called Zero Hour, where Green Lantern had gone crazy with the help of Hawk, of Hawk and Dove, who had gone also nuts. And they were using power to rewrite time. And... Somehow, Son of the Justice League got stuck um, in our time. I think that's how it went. But I also know that they all had certain powers that would keep them young. Like the fa- the Flash, because the Speed Force was keeping him young. The Sentinel, uh, formerly Green Lantern, the Ring was keeping him young. And Wildcat, he had nine lives. So he was always kind of like de-aging. Um, but for the most part, everybody else is new. Okay, that's very, very intriguing. Yeah, it it's, just... it's one of my favorite series. And it, at no point in, I think it's almost been 20 years since it relaunched, has it been bad. I've never once dropped an issue and said, oh, I can't take this anymore. Amazing, the entire way. Color, color me intrigued right there. 
All right, so I think we've wrapped it up here. Um, check us out on Facebook under Back in Tunes. Now, Back in Tunes is the animation podcast, but for right now, we're hosting the comic book podcast on the same page. Maybe one day I'll have my own theme song, little art. I don't know. I'm not sure yet. Um, anything you want to throw out there before we go? Uh, follow me on Twitter at Patrick M. Dunn. And I was thinking, when is this going to air? You said mid-May? Uh, yeah, probably about two weeks from now. All right, give us give me about one month. I was thinking of launching my own um, Batman themed podcast called Breaking Batman. Okay. I'm, it's I'm basically I'm going to read a lot of the older issues of Batman from the 50s, 60s, maybe even go back in the 40s. Anything that I can get my hands on, just the the real smaller scope stories. I'm just I'm just going to read through them, kind of offer my observations, maybe make some jokes about them, just because I know some of those stories have gotten ridiculous, and just compare it to to what the world is like today yeah so now he's so seek that out. <laughs> yeah, he's so dark and morose but um what you what is kind of fascinating about the 50s is that he wasn't allowed to do that kind of stuff because of the comics code so you had batman taking on aliens and mummies actually no, not even mummies because they're probably monsters but it's more like weird sci-fi goofy stuff mad scientists and yeah robots and things from other worlds <laughs> All right, everybody, thank you very much, and have a good night. Have a great night.